Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Welcome everyone, Sean Brewster here with Bodine Lennon once again. Today, Bo, we're talking about subjective assessment. Now, this is this is one of those things that is it's a a time potentially a time consuming and an often confusing process for particularly a lot of new therapists because there's so many things you can ask, so many questions. And I always come back to the idea that you talk to any experienced therapist and they'll all tell you that they did in the early part of their career a lot of physical assessment. And as they progress through their career, they're doing less physical assessment and more subjective information gathering, that really detailed question answer um, patient history process. Would you agree? Yeah, it's so valuable. It gives you so much information, um, you know, to get to that point where you're starting to figure out all of these associated factors or potentially uh, potential factors that may be associated in, in someone's pain presentation. Um, so really understanding it and gathering a whole lot of information um, and not just sort of allowing the patient to jump straight on the table. You know, if, if, if your subjective is taking less than five, even less than 10 minutes, you're probably missing a significant um, piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. I, and I can remember in recent history, patients that have come in for an hour consultation and I've spent 45 minutes talking to them before we even get anywhere near treatment. And, you know, surprisingly, if, you, if you're in the habit of doing faster assessment and then more treatment time, you might feel like you're shortchanging the patient. But I think that if you really go into detail and you also explain why these questions are important, what information you're getting from it while you're gathering it, so take the patient with you through that process, they get to the point where they're, you know, ready for treatment and they understand all of the stuff that you've just done and why it's so important to them or to you. And then they can, you know, it adds value to the process and they can really kind of be part of that with you. That's right. And just the the process of someone being listened to and heard actually can have a therapeutic effect. So when we think about um, someone presenting for treatment, treatment doesn't mean that it has to be hands-on. The the treatment in itself can be the, the communication and understanding you know, the source of these symptoms and where they come from and what their beliefs are around, around this pain presentation and, and really using that consultation communication to address these factors and sort of peel away the, the layers uh, because there's, there's often a lot more to it than, than the physical presentation. Yeah, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find two people that are, that are bigger advocates for manual therapy than us. But at the same time, I completely agree with that. You know, it's not all about the treatment um, and that communication, the information you provide, the information you get from them sets up a framework for a more effective treatment, whether that's manual therapy, whether it's exercise or whether it's just communication. It might just be advice because that's what's appropriate for the person based on the information you've gathered. Yeah. And even, you know, when we think about um, that we have to tell the patient what's going on, it's 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 often better if we allow the patient to, to form the, this story and they can talk through it and actually can, can de-threaten um, their overall presentation as well. So doing far less talking and, and putting information down the patient's throat and allowing them to talk and them to tell the story is, is hugely beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So let's go into this thing. So what kind of things do you think we should be 
uh, asking the patient in that patient history process? Well, I think that the first thing, obviously, it comes down to that, uh, the, the initial consult- consultation form or their patient history form. And, you know, there's certain reasons why these questions are on there and it shouldn't just be, be glanced across, but, you know, understanding someone's age and, and gender, obviously, is, is key and that their general health. Um, so knowing someone's age, it gives us a, a good idea of, you know, they're more likely to be presenting with certain types of conditions or um, certain genders are more vulnerable to types, certain types of presentations as well. So, you know, understanding this and the, the influence of, of um, certain conditions can give us a little bit more, more understanding about what's normal. So this is the hardest part, I think, for the for the therapist, especially a new therapist who's, who's you know early in their in their journey, is yes, you know we need to know if that woman is uh, in her late forties, early fifties, because if she's in that menopausal kind of period, that changes hormones, that which can affect um, tendon health, which can affect pathologies that we're presenting. So there's a thousand different reasons why age could be useful to know, but the underpinning knowledge under that is understanding pathology. And so it's not just about the subjective assessment and gathering data. It's also, also about having that really uh, thorough understanding of human tissue and how it behaves over the life cycle. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, looking at their current level of, of activity and, um, you know, because if we look at someone who may present with shoulder pain, that's 60 years of age versus someone who presents with shoulder pain, who's 18 years of age, two very different ways of looking at things. You know, if, if, you looked at a 60-year-old person's uh, imaging report, there's going to be all sorts of degeneration, changes to tendons, osteophyte formation, but that may be completely normal. Whereas if you look at an 18-year-old's imaging report and and they've got um, similar types of of changes, you know, as far as tearing and, and, um, you know, changes to the joint, then that may require a, a different intervention. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, again, it's not a simple thing of, okay, just ask about their age, just ask about their gender, because I think so many of us are taught, here's the questions you ask, and you go through school and you rehearse it and you rehearse and you gather all the information and you go away and go, okay, they've got shoulder pain, what do I know about shoulders? You know, like it's, you kind of throw all that information away as, as just kind of data for the sake of data, but it is actually important. Yeah, Definitely. And, you know, when we then look at the, the level of exercise they're doing, has there been any changes in, in volume or intensity, the frequency? You know, how may that be influencing their, uh, their presentation as far as from a tissue loading point of view? I think that's key, you know, looking at or understanding their occupation and the, the typical activities that they're, they're doing. Um, you know, you might have someone who is a, uh, let's say, a, a plumber. And they also play AFL um, and they're presenting with with, uh, hamstring pain, pretty common. But you think about how they're loading through their their work and their their general lifestyle, maybe placing extra load and how we need to look to modify that um, in combination with their training program. Yeah, we, we did another one of these discussions a while ago on tissue capacity. And that's really what we're talking about here, isn't it? So how has the person... Has the person had time to adapt to that tissue load that they're now sustaining? And I think this is probably one of the questions I really focus on when I take a subjective assessment is what's changed? 
You know, if you've, how long have you had your pain for? Three months. Okay, let's go back three months, four months ago. What was going on in your life? Did you increase your exercise? Did you get a new job? Did you change your shoes? Did you, you know, did you participate in other activities that you weren't doing before? Because that's where we see this, that's where we see the history and the story trajectory of that tissue loading. And we can hopefully from there reverse engineer what the cause was and then address a better outcome for the person. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, looking at their previous history of injuries, if they've had any um, any surgeries or, um, you know, family history of certain types of pain or injuries, I think that all really comes into it as well. Mm, okay. So we've got their, their age, their gender, um, history of activity and, and things that are going on in their lifestyle. What else we need to gather? Um, you know, it might be medications. I think that, that's certainly a, a, a key factor. And you look at anyone that's in chronic pain is more likely to have more medications or someone who's elderly is more likely to have at least one or, or more um, medications that, that they're on. And understanding how that may influence um, uh, pain modulation and, and a range of other factors, uh, you know, they're, Lifestyle habits as far as smoking, drinking, um, that can all play a significant role as well. Um, smoking can be a bit of a nasty one. Um, history of steroid use and, and the, the influence of how that may impact the, the vascular system and, and potentially red flags. Um, you know, someone's BMI, higher BMI is associated with um, higher risks of, of injury and chronic pain. So there's a few other things to look at there. Mm. Let's go back to the medication one for a moment because I'm hearing people listening to this or watching this going, but, you know, patients come in and they reel off some 37-letter-long medication that they're on and I have no idea what that is and I have no idea if that is influencing their back pain or their hip pathology or their foot pain, whatever it might be. What, if, what use is that information for me if I don't know what the medicine is or what the medication is? Oh, it's a good question. Um, you know, there are so many different types of medication out there, but um, yeah, I guess understanding how long they've been on it for, what their beliefs around that medication are, um, if they feel like if they weren't on it, would their pain be a whole lot worse? Because there's often a lot of psychological influences around someone taking pain medication. And when you look at the use of, of opioids, people that take opioids, um, in the short term, are, are far uh, more likely to be to be on them long term. You know, there's studies looking at that with nerve pain that people who take opioids in the short term are, are still on them um, one year later. So, um, and we know the influence of of opioid medication in in overall general health and how that can really um, influence a, a patient's overall well being. Yeah, and I think that the other thing too, interesting or not interesting, useful to know is about the different categories of medication. We've got opioid, we've got steroidal, non-steroidal, and all these different things. So with these different classes of medication, typically that we have lots of different um, types within those classes or different names, different categories. But if you understand what a class of medication will do and the potential side effects of that, then you can go, okay, you're taking that particular medicine. That's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Here's the potential side effects of that. Let's look at your symptoms. Does any of that match your symptoms? And if it does, well, then maybe we could be trying to treat something that's actually just an effect of the medication. And so, you know, going to eMIMS online is probably a great place to start. eMIMS is just going to list every medication out there. It's going to give you all the side effects. And of course, if you consider every side effect of every medication, you can pretty much point your finger at any symptom and say, yes, it's the cause of that because most medications have 
been shown to produce, you know, hundreds of side effects in some cases, but it's the really highly commonly presenting ones that you want to look at. And if that's a major symptom for that patient, then you can start to draw some lines between these things and kind of go, well, maybe some of what is presenting isn't actually your injury or your pain presentation, but it could actually be a symptom of something you're doing to try to manage that, aka the medication. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's always worthwhile to, to um, you know, educate patient around their, their pain presentation and, and things that we can control as far as, um, you know, lifestyle change, behavioural change, and then, you know, saying, look, go back to your doctor and have a, have a discussion um, around the medication use and the dosage and, um, you know, so they can get more information. The more information they've got, the obviously the, the better informed that they'll be to, to make better decisions. Um, and it may not be that, 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 you know, that they need all these prescriptions because maybe that's actually having more of a, a detrimental effect and potentially the, the long-term use of these medications can, can impair their, um, their, their overall lifestyle, well-being, mental health um, can, all, can all be influenced. 100%. Look, personal example, my grandmother was on a whole stack of different medications not long before she passed away. And when she went to hospital, the doctor she was with took her off all of those things to see how she would respond. Dramatically improved. Dramatically improved. Because of the combination of those medicines were producing its own set of side effects, which yeah. the, the various doctors who prescribed them hadn't considered. And so I think that's a good thing is like go back to your doctor and say, here's, here's my symptoms. Could any of this be coming from my medication? Have them have, take a second look at it that can be the case sometimes yeah and we're, particularly when we're looking at pain often when, when people have the perception of i've got really bad pain or my condition is really bad i'm going to need very strong medication um and you know there, there is also studies suggesting that you know opioid medication is sometimes no better than placebo um so yeah understanding and educating the patient about about pain is is key but um yeah the more fear and anxiety that they have around a particular pain presentation or the seriousness of that pain presentation often influences their beliefs around the the severity of the intervention so the stronger medication or or um the higher need for for surgery or more serious care yeah no for sure that's good okay so let's come back to our data gathering so we've gone medications we've looked at some other factors what else do we need to ask our patients about um, well i guess those those lifestyle habits like um, the use of, of alcohol and long-term alcohol steroid use um what else are we thinking um yeah, any sort of other drug use as well, maybe social uh, social drugs, and this can be a hard one to to ask the patient as well. But um, whether whether they're using it for for pain modulation or or otherwise, I think this is it's quite useful in, in gathering um, their overall health. Mm. How important do you think those questions are when you've got somebody who comes in and they've got a sprained ankle? You know, something very mechanical, very obvious in its cause. And you're asking them questions about um, past history, things that don't seem to be related to that particular injury. Yeah, well, yeah, it is a good question. But, you know, when we think about their coping strategies around pain, if they're using um, drugs or alcohol to, to cope with their symptoms, then that could be a potential um, potential flag that we'd need to, to address. And, you know, 
acute injuries can turn into to chronic injuries. We've also got to think about, you know, the influence of an acute injury, whether it be a sprained ankle, but how does that affect their overall well-being, their, their life, their um, fears around the, the potential um, problems associated with that, you know, withdrawal from sport or missing out on, on sport, you know. Um, this all does come, come into it, whether it be acute or, or chronic, I think that the questions um, are all certainly worthwhile looking at, but, you know, some questions may not be, be appropriate for, for all people, um, but we've got to think about is, is that playing a role as well? Yeah, and I think that's the, the beauty of the, the health history form is we get a nice little snapshot, but often patients won't really elaborate on things. They'll see, you know, that list of the 20 boxes, please tick the ones that are appropriate to you, and they'll go, oh, quick scan, medication yep tick uh diabetes yep tick and then you'll come back and focus on those things but it's pretty easy to overlook the things that they may have overlooked and that's where you'll you'll see a symptom or a clinical feature of their presentation and go well that doesn't make sense but it could be that they they left something out too which is why that history taking process is so important the conversations we have yeah and and we don't have to know it all either it it can be tell me a bit more about this medication or tell me a bit more about your, um, you know, you, you've ticked history of injury or your family history of, of certain condition. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, you know, those open-ended questions is, is, is key, really um, allowing the patient to, to talk and, and tell their story. And we get a bit more of a picture and often they'll say, um, oh, you know, as soon as we prompt them, then, oh, well, it was actually this, 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 and this, and they'll give us a whole lot more information. Um, so, yeah, even ha- having, you know, short pauses and it doesn't always need to be um, us trying to keep that conversation going. Short pauses can can promote um, people to, to talk that a little bit more. Yeah, no one likes an, un- an, un- an uncomfortable silence. You know, we we'll, we'll typically try to fill it. And that will often promote the patient to um, just give you a bit more information because they think you're searching for something and they don't want to have that pause. So it's, it's a useful technique. I think it's good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about that. And then yeah, tell me more about that. Expand on that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the opposite of, I think that probably their, most of their experiences in the medical, you know, um, industry or profession. So if they go to see your, your classic doctor, who's going to have on average seven minutes with them, you know, and that, um, I can't remember the exact stats, but it's something like most patients get to about 21 seconds before they get interrupted. Yeah, it's somewhere in that range. So it's that's that's disgraceful when we think about a patient who's maybe got a very complex presentation, they've got a whole history of information they want to provide, and they get to a third of a minute before the doctor saying, "Okay, got it. Right, next thing." Yeah. That's right. And you know, back to those medications, it's it's easy for them to write a script, or and I'm not trying to uh, blame. Uh, doctors all but you know in that you're right it's about seven minutes um of of a consultation or it's less than 10 and once it goes over that the price goes up um so as far as their consultation goes there's really not much much time to to gather a full history i know that every time i've been to a doctor i sit in the chair awkwardly for the about the first two minutes while they sort of open up their computer and then oh, tell me what's going on oh, i've got headache <laughs> here's some here's some tablets for it <laughs> yeah right and it, look it's not the fault of the doctors like you're saying it's a, it's a problem with the system 
Yeah. And we, when I say we, I mean those of us working in the allied health um, space have a very unique opportunity that we aren't limited by time in the same way. Now, your practice, your clinical practice might have a limited time uh, way of working. And if that's the case, then obviously that's going to change things. But typically we have at a minimum 20 minutes, you know, a lot of physio practices might work on those three sessions per hour, but often it's 30 minutes, 45, an hour, even longer in some cases. And so I, I would say, especially in your first session, the majority of that time should really be about investigation. We're trying to get as much information as possible so that the treatment that we apply is the sniper's bullet, not the shotgun pellet. Like we can be really targeted with that and not waste people's time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's have a look at some other subjectives. Um, when, when someone p- presents with a typical pain presentation, I think um, one of the first things that we need to look at is, is the onset. When did it start? Was there a specific mechanism of injury or is it more of this an insidious onset that, you know, gradually came on over time with, with an unknown cause? Um, so I think understanding that is a really good start. Um, looking at the, the level of irritability. So, um, you know, how much does it take to provoke those symptoms and how long will those symptoms last for when they do come on? Um, is it very mechanical in nature or is it a bit random? It just randomly comes on. I think that can tell you a lot, a lot about the, the level of sensitization and, and irritability of, of the symptoms and whether it is a mechanical problem or not. Yeah, those three things you just touched on there, I think are really important because it tells us, it gives us a lot of clues about one, that the, the tissues that are involved. And when we understand the involved tissues, we can understand behavior of tissues and how that plays out over time. But also then the chronicity or acuteness of the presentation, because again, you know, an acute presentation, if we get to that early, we can apply the appropriate intervention. We can almost stop it in its tracks in a lot of cases if we don't have too many other confounding external factors contributing to it. Whereas you get your chronic one, every week, month that goes past in time, other factors start to compound on top of that. And now we have this kind of brick fortress around the actual original original injury that might have been presenting that you have to knock down those bricks first before you can even get to a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and when we look at, you know, chronic pain, um, there's often symptoms that are... Um, exacerbated at, at random times or there's there's no real cause for the symptoms it's not due to mechanical loading or um, if it is that it's uh, far over exaggerated the pain is far more severe than than, than, the, than the, the level of mechanical loading and then you know we can't just look at it as a tissue-based problem whereas mm-hmm. someone who's come in running and they go oh I felt the sudden pain in in my hamstring um, you know bit more of a mechanical problem Whereas when it's these abnormal symptoms that come and go, the, the level of um, uh, sensitivity is far greater than, than it should be, um, we start to think there's probably much more central causes going on there and it needs to be addressed in a little bit more of a, a, a different way. Yeah, and again, this is that's stepping into the central and peripheral sensitization models and I, you would agree this, I, I can't... Uh, highly recommended enough or recommended more highly that you you investigate that, get to know what these things are, understand central sensitization, understand the the implications of peripheral sensitization and how that plays out. Because once you get an understanding of those things, you can assess for it. You can treat it and you can change it. But if you don't understand it, you're stuck and you're lost and you're going, okay, well, why, why is it that when I touch this person's jaw, 
pain courses through the side of their head. There's no mechanical damage. Why, why can't I touch them? Yeah. Why do they wake up in such intense pain that they just can barely move? Like until you understand it, it's very, it makes it very hard to do anything about it. And that's right. And, and, and if, if you don't understand it and then reinforcing a mechanical cause of their symptoms, that can add to frustration when it's not getting better, um, you know, and, and a cascade of other, other effects that are associated with that. Um, you know, physical assessments don't, won't line up or everything will be painful. It shouldn't fit, fit the, the norm. It, you know, all of these things are uh, really going to confuse you, but then you've got to think, maybe it's not a, a tissue-based pathology. It's not a mechanical cause of pain. There's other factors going on here that, that really need to be addressed. I think, I think there's a topic for our next conversation, but we need to do a, a chat about central and peripheral sensitization. What is it? How do you identify it? And then what can you do about it? That's such a big topic. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, in my own experience, the, the better I've got to know that, the more confident I can be with every patient that comes in the door that especially the really confusing ones. They're the ones I love the most now because you, you can see this stuff. It's just like a, it's just highlights it immediately when you see it in clinical practice. And yeah. it's really useful. But, but doesn't that come back to that, um, that initial conversation? They might just say, oh, I'm just really, yeah, it's really frustrating. I, you know, I'm now having days off work. Some days I just feel like I can't get out of bed. All of this stuff is just ringing alarm bells of these yellow flags. Yeah. Um, that they're often, if they're not addressed, it doesn't matter what you do as far as any mechanical change, even surgical interventions. If, if the psychosocial factors aren't addressed, then um, the, the, the outcomes are poor. Yeah, you're, you're missing the target completely. Yeah. Cool. And that what else do we need to pull out of this? What other sort of information? Okay, so then we'll probably need to look at things that make it better and worse. Right, so asking those questions like, um, is there any specific movements, positions, postures, activities that, that make it feel better? Okay, and then others that, that, that make it feel worse. So really looking into that, that little bit more and, and, and identifying, um, is there that mechanical cause of their symptoms? Um, and, you know, promoting movement, promoting activity around things that make them feel better. And I think the other the caveat we put over the top of that, of course, is that maybe test that as well. Because if someone says, when I do this, my pain is worse, or when I do this, my pain is better, how much of that is their belief system? You know, like how much of it is because of mechanical forces being applied to the, the injured tissue, whatever it may be? Yeah, well, it could be a bit of both, couldn't it? Mm. You know, if, you, if you've got initially, a, 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 let's say, a, an injury as far as a mechanical lumbar forward flexion there may have been a, a, a disc injury let's say all right and then when you bend forward it actually makes it feel feel worse but when you bend back it might relieve it a little bit um, but you know as that tissue heals all right and the inflammatory component goes away we should be able to regain normal forward flexion and not full function but if there is that fear associated with well that could hurt it then you're more likely to be more fear avoidant and remove that. So we need to sort of think about, well, there's, there's the two components here. Um, they're probably going to cross over a little bit as well. Yep. Um, but as time goes on, we need to sort of change their fears and, and improve their movement towards what would normally be painful or the, um, what they perceive would be painful. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think that's where in, in clinical practice when the patient says it hurts when I move, you go, okay, let's explore that. Can you stand up for me? Show me the kind of positions that would not hurt. And you see the movements they're doing, oh, so that's a movement. So that movement doesn't hurt. And then the, by them recognising that that movement doesn't hurt, they start to reduce the fear around all movement hurting. And then we can get more specific with what movements actually are painful. And that tells us then a lot more about what's actually going on for the person. Definitely. And then, you know, we look at another side of things. It might be that um, someone might say, well, I feel much better when I exercise. Great. Let's get you exercising more. But I feel much worse when I sit still. Okay. So that gives us an idea. And then, you know, we might look at other conditions such as tendinopathies. They'll often feel better when they exercise, but they'll feel mm -hmm. much worse the next day when they first get out of bed. So that's a more of a mechanical loading-based presentation, but that can give us uh, more understanding about the, the health of the tissue and, and the volume and the, the load that's going through that area. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Great. Is there anything more? Because I know we could talk all day, I think. You could ask a thousand questions, right? You could ask a thousand questions. And when it comes down to it, you know, I think especially if you're new to this, you want some kind of framework to work from, right? Because if you just go, I'm just going to ask all the questions that I could possibly think of, um, you you end up asking questions for the sake of questions. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there is a lot more to go through, but, um, you know, understanding that specific location of pain, is it is it a local pinpoint spot or does it refer uh, or does it radiate? What type of, of, of pattern is it following? And what are the symptoms associated with that? Is it sort of a, a, a sharp shooting, tingling, burning type of symptom? Or is it a diffuse, non-specific pain? Or is it painful right on the spot? Um, all of these things will, will give us a bit better understanding, but the underpinning knowledge of how, how different types of conditions and, and tissues tend to behave, um, that will start to line up with these types of symptoms. Yeah. So again, it comes back to our understanding of pathology, right? We need to have that. And so you can't just be taught to take a history and assume that that will help you understand the presentation. You have to understand the presentations and then know which questions point to each of those presentations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I'll just add, you know, obviously um, looking at uh, once we've got all of that sort of um, information, if they're reporting any abnormal symptoms, things that don't tend to line up with yeah. a musculoskeletal cause of, of symptoms, um, you know, that's when we need to probably start to look at thinking, all right, something's not adding up here. I, I do need to refer on for a medical opinion. Yeah, that's right. We don't have to have all the answers. I think you said that earlier. We don't have to know everything. Yeah. And if you ask a question and you get some information and you, so let's just say you find out five really useful things about them and one of them makes no sense whatsoever, but it's a very obvious thing in their history. We can't join that dot to anything. Well, then we either have to ask more questions or we have to ask for help. Yeah. And that's a perfectly reasonable and logical and the, it's the right thing to do for the patient. And we can't always fit something into a musculoskeletal framework when it yeah. may not be. There's certain conditions that mascur masquerade as, as um, musculoskeletal conditions when they may be something far more sinister. Yep. Um, and if they're continually treated as a musculoskeletal condition and those symptoms are just coming back, coming back, no matter what intervention, that's got to make you scratch your head and think, all right, something's, something's not right here. It's not responding to 
load management, conservative treatment, um, you know, education, exercise, um, all of this sort of stuff, you think something's not right here. No, that's right. And we've, we've talked about over-servicing patients before and the trap of the easy trap that we fall into as clinicians of going, okay, I've got a hammer. Everything has to look like a nail. You know, we say that a thousand times, but, you know, it's if someone presents with, you know, shoulder pain, but at the same time they're getting, you know, issues with their heart, well, could that be referred pain from an organ? You know, we, we, we're assessing that shoulder all day long and really not coming up with any answers. And it's very easy to just kind of string that patient along. They potentially get worse and worse and worse in the process, like you were saying. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It's it's so important. I'd rather refer someone off and and be wrong or them being completely cleared. At least then we can say, all right, great. We've now ruled off uh, ruled out any of these red flags. We can proceed with with conservative management. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think that's quite useful. Yeah, for sure. So, but if if you are again, I keep coming back to what if you're a new therapist because this is the hardest thing as a therapist being really good at this and efficient at it, not just asking the right questions, but being able to record it all as well. I know when I was at school, we were we were taught, and I have taught since a lot of different types of acronyms you can kind of follow. You know, if you go right back to the basic kind of massage training, we were probably taught SOAP or ASTA. You know, subjective, objective analysis plan, you know, assessment, and so on. So. We've had some more complex ones develop over time. I think I used one called Lot Radiop. You were talking about one called, what was yours? OPPQRST. Yep. Talk us through that one. So looking at the onset, provocation and palliative. So what makes it better or worse? Mm -hmm. Then you've got the quality of the symptoms. Okay. Then we've got radiation for R. Um, What's that? RS is the site. So the location of pain and the, the timing, how often it comes on, how frequent, uh, how long that lasts for. Uh, so I think that gives you a little bit of a, a good clinical picture. Do you want to talk mm. us through um, the one that you were talking about? The lot radio. Yeah, look, there was rather than going to do much there because it's essentially the same thing. We've got yeah. lot radio. There's another one called Socrates. There's probably about a dozen or more of these things. They essentially all hit the same targets. Yeah. But the key thing is find one that you're comfortable with stick to it because it allows you to not miss anything yeah but i and should also say when you if you follow one of those those questions are related to pain typically yeah. and that's not the whole picture is it that's the right. first part of our conversation was around history and psychological red yellow and orange flags and a whole bunch of other factors so yeah find one of those acronyms to follow but recognize that that's only going to be part of the information you need to gather yeah and so just on that and it can be hard starting out when you're going through this don't make it an interview uh, as far as looking at your piece of paper and going okay location of where is your where is your symptoms okay write it down mm. you want it to be conversational you know when and and i won't even have have notes in the treatment i won't be writing anything because i want very um patient-centered focus i want them to have my full attention and, and not writing down or typing anything it's very disjointed so um you know asking them these questions and and allowing that conversation to take you and tell me a little bit more about that what's your understanding so if they said oh i've got sciatica tell me a bit more about that what's your understanding of of sciatica and um, you know, 
having them really explain what it means to them and how's that influencing your life? How's that impacting your, your overall well-being, your, your sleep, you know, and allowing that to really sort of um, take its course, that can give you a lot of information. They'll really start to um, answer a lot of their own questions. So, so they're coming up with, with, with the solutions there. Yeah, and I think that conversational style interview rather than interview for the sake of, you know, gathering data is important too because, you know, if you're talking to someone in a conversation, you're more likely to expand on ideas and give more detail. Whereas if someone's got a pen and paper or a computer open and they ask you a question and they're waiting for your answer, you'll try to give it to them in a very succinct, very short, easy to write down manner. You'd say, yes, it hurts when I do this, as opposed to, yeah, sometimes it's like this, but other times, because... You don't want the patient, you, want the, you don't want the therapist, the doctor, whoever, to be writing a thousand words. But really, the thousand words is where the colour comes from. It's where we get the detail. It's where we paint the picture. Yeah. And, and you know, use some basics that you would have all learnt um, as far as motivational interviewing. So asking those open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and, um, you know, really sort of summarising that. So what you're telling me is this. Um, that sort of demonstrating that you are you are really listening to them and, and you understand their, their story. Um, whereas if you sort of don't understand and it's not being relayed back to them, they'll also they'll have the perception of they didn't really understand, they didn't really listen to me. Um, and that's going to have more negative outcomes on their treatment, regardless of, of whatever else you do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think again for um, for someone who feels like they're struggling with this process, a nice thing you might like to try is practice taking this, this history, this gathering this information with a friend or family member in a non-clinical setting where there's no time frame, there's no clock, they're not paying for the, the intervention or the, the uh, consultation. Um, and you say, I just want to practice my, I want to practice my craft. Can you tell me, uh, I know you've got neck pain, whatever it might be. Um, let's have a conversation about that if that's okay. And you just go through that normal conversational style interview with them. And at the end of the 45 minutes, three hours, whatever it might be, you might surprise yourself and go, actually, you know what? I can remember all the key information. I've got it all there. I don't have to write it down. I can write it down after the fact. That's fine. And I think with information I've got, I can do a better assessment, physical assessment now. And I won't waste my time doing five orthopedic tests for a shoulder when I know that it's actually probably coming from the neck, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And rather than sort of jumping to a conclusion early on and then, you know, putting all this information onto them to say, well, this is what it is and a very mechanical um, uh, sort of explanation. If they've got neck pain and it, 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 it's, um, you know, asking them, well, why, why do you think that that's there? And, you know, addressing other factors is what's, what's your level, current level of, of stress and um, anxiety? What, what do you think that the worst thing could possibly happen around your neck is? And mm. you'll find some people often jump to these drastic conclusions is like, I'm, I'm really worried that um, it's just going to get worse with movement and potentially um, compress on a nerve and then I won't be able to use my, my arm anymore. And, you know, this sounds a bit crazy, but there's, there's a lot of survey studies on, on patients' influence and interpretation of, of symptoms and they can have this catastrophic um, uh, sort of connotations to what they're, um, to what's potentially going on. So we need to identify this and and then see if we can 
remove some of these negative beliefs associated to it. And, you know, and a lot of that really comes from just asking them um, rather than giving them information. So, yeah, mm. I, I like that idea of, um, you know, practising it on someone else. Mm. Uh, it's often hard, let's say, with a partner to tell them, for them to take on board what you think is going on. But if you make it their idea and they come up with, with that story, um, you know, you can start to, to really put that back on them and say, does that, does that sound like I'm getting the full picture? Oh, yeah, you yeah. really understand me. You really... Yeah, and that's where the interview, the assessment, taking pro- the assessment um, process becomes the treatment, isn't it? Yeah. One should sort of merge into the other and they should sort of swap as, as the consultation goes on. It shouldn't be, okay, I finished gathering information, now I'm going to do my treatment. Yeah. You know, yeah. And here's the advice afterwards. The advice should come during and after and like, and as an ongoing thing. So it's, yeah, I, I think there's a few different strategies you can apply, but the, the hardest thing, of course, is when we're taught to go through a mechanical process when we're in our undergraduate program, here's the questions you've got to ask. You have to ask every single one in this order. And then you have to do a physical assessment. Then you have to design a treatment and then you have to get it consent and then you have to deliver the treatment. Then you have to do a follow-up assessment Then you have to develop a plan ongoing. And of course, we have to start learning somewhere. But really, over time, what will happen is all of those things merge into one process. Yeah. And you'll get three quarters of the way through a treatment and stop and go, huh, let's assess this other thing. Let's, let's have a conversation about this. I agree. And, you know, we probably shouldn't even put our hands on someone until we think that we've got absolutely everything that we need. And then when we do put our hands on that patient, that gives us an opportunity to find out and ask more questions. So it's really sort of that layered process of, you know, get as much as we can, but that only gives us an opportunity to to ask more. Um, Often with most tests, it's to um, sort of rule out things. They've got a much higher sensitivity than a specificity, meaning that they're better at telling us what, what the condition isn't. So once we rule everything out, then it gives us a bit better understanding of what may be going on. But, you know, when we look at any pain presentation, it is often multifactorial and complex. And just jumping to a single cause or reasoning for that is often a little bit one-dimensional. So we've got to get all of this information together. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a big thing. Hence, this very long conversation that we're having right now, right? We could probably make this a four-hour recording um, because there's so many factors to it. But hopefully those who have watched and listened have taken away some of the key questions. Uh, Understanding the the framework to kind of deliver those questions and to get the answers is not as uh, robotic or as scripted as maybe we might have been taught to do. Um, And that realising that once you get information, you're like a detective, right? You're just gathering clues. And in the process of gathering those clues, you find out that you need to ask more questions and more questions. And then you've got this big bucket of information to be able to then go, right, I'm going to decide to do this thing or that thing or whatever with that information rather than a couple of quick orthopedic tests and go, right, oh, it's, it's looking like this problem. I'm going to go and treat that. Yeah. 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 We've got to really look at all that and sort of think, well, what are their behaviours, their thoughts, beliefs, emotions surrounding this? Um, and, you know, we, as far as changing someone's chronic pain presentation, we have to look at changing their, their lifestyle and their behaviours, their thoughts, which can contribute to their emotions and, their mm. mood, um, and not just focus on, on one thing. 
this is very soft, fluffy talk coming from a manual therapist, but you recognize <laughs> that, right? <laughs> but it's true. It is true. And the more experience we get at this, the more we realize it's not just about poking and prodding bodies and stretching things and pushing things. It's, it's the person, the human being is a complex machine. It's a complex yeah. creature. Otherwise, we would be able to shorten this talk down to five minutes and tell you exactly what to do, but we can't. Here's seven questions. Yep, that's it. It's not like that. Yeah. No, exactly. Great. Well, in all of that, hopefully our listeners and viewers have uh, taken some things away. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if people need to go back and maybe listen to this a couple of times and kind of get the key bits out. Um, but hopefully it's been valuable for everyone who's been tuning yeah. in. And don't hesitate to, to reach out, send mm -hmm. us an email or a message um you know this is a, an interesting topic and it's it's not an easy one but mm. um yeah let us know if you have any questions or if we need to do a follow-up part two definitely you know and one of the things we like to do both talk about this stuff right so yeah more than happy to get questions at any time so that's great all righty we'll leave it there then yeah cheers great thanks a lot